So what is a grace life? We're called grace life, but, but what is a grace life? And we kind of kicked that off last week by talking about the fact that a, a grace life is a life that's devoted to worshiping God. And today we want to say this, that a grace life is also a life that's devoted to connecting with God's people. And I believe that's so important that we do connect ourselves one to another. In fact, at Grace Life, we're kind of, I guess, a little old school in this way, but we call ourselves a church family. And I believe that. I believe a local body of believers is indeed a family. I think that's the language that the scripture uses to describe what God says we are and what God says we're to be. And I know we're kind of a big family and and getting bigger. And so it's not realistic to think that you're going to be well connected to everybody in your family. But I do believe that it's to be expected that we should have a willingness about us and an eagerness about us to connect with other people as God may give us that opportunity. In fact, Jesus' goal for us as God's people among ourselves is not that we would simply stop at connecting. That's not where it ends. That's really only where it begins. Jesus calls us to go way beyond simply a handshake and a greeting and maybe knowing somebody's name. Jesus actually has called his sons and daughters to love each other as he has loved us. Now let that sink in. I want you to think for just a minute, how does Jesus love you? How deep is that love? How rich is that love? How faithful is that love? How unconditional is that love? How selfless, how sacrificial is that love? And Jesus says, you are to love each other just like that. Here's his words, John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Serious business from Jesus. This is a commandment, not a suggestion, a commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, watch this, by this all will know that you are my disciples. Think about that. The world will know who we are. The world will know who Jesus is. Jesus says when we love each other the way he loves us. He says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I would encourage you maybe to write this sentence down. I think it may go on the screen. Here it is. The way that we do relationships is the way that we represent Jesus to the world. The way we do relationships is the way that we represent Jesus to the world. In our student ministry for the last number of years, we've been saying this thing to them over and over because we want to get it into their hearts and their minds that we got to know each other so that we can care about each other. And when we care about each other, then we can love each other. And when we love each other, we're going to see God do something special. I believe that. I believe Jesus just said that. That when you love each other, something special is going to happen. The world's going to take note. And they'll know who Jesus is and they'll know that we belong to him. But you've got to know each other so you can care about each other, so you can love each other. And listen, 
that's why we mix things up around here at least once a year. And we do these things called pit crews. It, it, it gets us out of our routine a little bit. It positions us so that maybe we get an opportunity to know somebody else. And maybe in that knowing them, we get to care about them. And then in the caring about them, we get to love them. And when that happens, Miss Margaret, something special is going to happen. I called out Miss Margaret's name because her name came up in my life this week. Miss Margaret, can I just ask you your age or is that inappropriate? 92 years young. And she's one of my favorite people in the whole world. Loves Jesus, loves people, young and vibrant. But her name came up this week. Evan Beck, who's on our staff team, sent me a text message to tell me just how meaningful pit crews are to her and, and how important pit crews are to her. And here was her text message to me um, about Miss Margaret. Are you crying already? Okay. Did we, do, do we have a picture of you guys? There they are. Hey, you're wearing the same blouse. That's pretty high in the rotation, huh? I'm just kidding. They just took that picture just before church started today. I asked them if they would do that. Where's Evan? Evan, what's the chances that Evan's got the same blouse on? She does, because they did. They took the picture just a few minutes ago. Here was Evan's text message. She said, Margaret Glasgow and I met in a pit crew in 2019. We are 60 years apart, but instantly hit it off. We then both joined a women's Bible study that met for over two years. Together, we intensely studied 52 women of the Bible. Her insight and knowledge of Scripture and God himself helped grow my faith and love for God's word. When my sister was in an almost fatal car accident, outside of immediate family, she was the first person I called. I knew that she would immediately begin to seek the Lord for healing and protection over my sister and her life. When we found out we would be getting custody of a seven-week premature baby, she was the first person and only person for a while in our church family that we told. Why? Because I knew she would seek the Lord for guidance over our tiny baby's life and future. And Evan said, I love her, like really love her. And I would have missed this. I would have missed this had we not met in pit crews. Would you say those two women love each other? They love one another. And that's a powerful phrase, one another. The New Testament actually uses that phrase over a hundred times. And most of the times we come across that phrase, one another, it usually relates to this. Either it's a focus on humility it's a focus on unity, or it's a focus on love. And let me give you some quick examples today. Here's a few that deal with humility. Romans 12.10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. To honor another means you have to first humble yourself to honor them, to exalt them above yourself. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, 
consider others as more important than yourselves. Another, Galatians 5.13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. I love brothers and sisters language here. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. That's humility. Let me give you some that are about unity. Unity, Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. I asked you last week, why do you come in here every week and never speak to the people around you? How is it that you sit in the same place and you haven't spoken to the people down the road behind you, in front of you? The Bible says, welcome one another. Ephesians 4.32 says, and be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. That's a big thing. Just as God also forgave you in Christ. Here's another one related to unity. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another. And for all. Not just for yourself. But bigger picture, for the family of God, for all. Let me show you some that deal with love. Romans 13, 8. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. But you've got to know each other so you can care about each other, so you can love each other. 1 Peter 1, Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another Every now and then, when you feel like it, when you're good, when you're in a good mood, no, 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 no. Love one another constantly. First John chapter three verse eleven. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Humility, unity, and love. Listen, if we don't have humility, we're never going to have unity. And if we don't have unity, we're never going to have love. The reality is, and I think you know this if you're over the age of three, relationships are hard. They're challenging. They're difficult. It's hard work to be in a meaningful relationship with somebody else because relationships are full of challenges and they're full of variables and they're full of complexities. And sometimes those complexities and challenges cause us to wrongly conclude that the better option is to withdraw from others, to to isolate ourselves, and to keep ourselves at a safe distance, detached in isolation from others. But the reality is, deep down in all of us, even us introverts, Deep down in us, we want to have meaningful relationships with other people. I think most of us would even be honest enough to say, deep down, we know, not only do I want it, but I need. We need to have meaningful relationships with each other. Why is that? Why is there such a desire or a need for relationships? It's pretty simple. Because God made us that way. God created us that way, to connect in relationships to others. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. You've heard this before. Look at it again. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper 
corresponding to him. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Couldn't God have just made Adam and Eve at the same time? Sure he could. Why didn't he? Well, I think the reason he didn't is because God was making a point. We're not built to be alone. God has formed us and created us to be in relationships with one another. Having a God-given, meaningful relationship cost Adam something, right? What it cost him? A rib. Having that God-given, meaningful relationship cost Adam something. And listen, yes, for you... To have a God-given, God-given, meaningful relationship, it's going to cost you something too. Now, we may not like that, but, but that's just the reality of it. Anything that's worth having comes with a cost. And I think you would agree with me that to have a God-given, meaningful relationship, like, like God gave Evan and Miss Margaret, like the one God gave Miss Margaret and Evan, That's worth the cost. It's worth that cost to let go of something. you got to let go of something to be able to embrace what God has for you. If we're going to know each other and care about each other and love each other, it's going to cost something. You're going to have to be willing to let go of something and embrace something. Let's get specific. Let me give you, and I had like a list of 17 something. I got it down to seven, all right. Here's seven things that you might have to let go of. And embrace if you're going to have that God-given meaningful relationship with others that God so wants you to have. If you're really going to position yourself to experience what Miss Margaret and Evan have and many others in this room have experienced. To know, care, and to truly love each other. So seven things to let go of. Seven things to embrace so we can know, care, and love each other. Number one, let go of independence and embrace interdependence. The rest of the words won't be so long, but this one's big, all right? Let go of independence and embrace interdependence. You see, at the core of every healthy relationship is a partnership. It's togetherness. It's teamwork. It's a shared life. That's what meaningful relationships are. It's life shared together in an interdependent sort of way, that we are mutually depending on one another for those one another's, those 100 one another's that the New Testament describes. We're mutually depending on each other. But here's the challenge. It's easy when we're in a relationship over time to lose sight of the interdependent nature of a relationship. It's easy to kind of get stuck in a rut and revert back to independency in that relationship. But here's the problem. Independency works against meaningful relationships. When we revert back to being an independent person, we we, we begin to think independently and Act independently and unilaterally without considering the impact that this has on another. Without considering the impact that this may have on the relationship. And therefore, when independence sneaks into a relationship, the relationship begins to weaken. It begins to fragment. It begins to break down. 
just as selfish and independent teammates sabotage teams and don't win championships, selfish and independent church members sabotage the purposes of God among us and fail to bring glory to God. Now, now let me clarify something. The, the end of independence is not the end of individuality. God has made you unique in his image. You have a unique fingerprint of God on your life. You need to bring that to the table of every relationship. Your individuality is what helps relationships to flourish. But your independency is what causes relationships to struggle. But just remember that our shared goals as the people of God are greater than our independent goals, our individual goals. So if we're going to know each other and care about each other and love each other, and we're going to have that meaningful relationship that God wants us to have, it's going to cost us something. You might have to let go of independence and embrace interdependence. Secondly, you might have to let go of pride and embrace humility. Now, pride is one of the more obvious killers in a relationship. And we've already read a handful of scriptures about humility, being humble before one another. So I won't camp on this one long, but pride is often seen in the person who is eager to say, I'm right, you're wrong. Pride is often seen in the person who is eager to say, my opinion is superior to your opinion. Pride is often seen in the person who's eager to say, my way is better than your way. See, the proud will kill a relationship because the prideful don't think they need it. They think they're self-sufficient. The attitude of pride sets itself up as God. I am superior to all others, and I don't need anybody else. And this is why the Bible says God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. So if we're going to know each other and care about each other and love each other, we've got to let go of independence, embrace interdependence. We've got to let go of pride, embrace humility. Number three, we've got to let go of past wounds and embrace present healing. So we all have some scars, we all have some wounds, physically, emotionally, relationally, mentally. Some of those wounds have healed, praise the Lord. Some of those wounds are still healing. And for some of us, some of those wounds, we've just secretly tried to bury them and pretend that they don't exist. And those that have not yet fully healed... Here's the challenge and the problem. They oftentimes, because they're not healed, can be destructive to our present relationships. Unhealed wounds can go on to be destructive to any hope of future relationships that we may have. So what do you do about that? If you're here today with unhealed wounds in your life, what would you do? Well, I think at some point, we have to make up our minds that the time has come to pivot away from the past and to pivot into the future and to look to God for the help and the grace that we need 
to find healing so that we can have the meaningful relationships that God stands ready to give us. Now, you may need some help in that because your wounds may be very deep. And I just want you to know that our pastors would stand ready to help you. And I would want you to know that we are blessed with so many great people and resources that we would love to guide you to and point you to so that through the grace of God you could find healing for some of those wounds, present healing over past wounds so that you can have the meaningful relationships that God wants you to have. But I think we all today need to ask the Lord, God, would, would you help make me healthier physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, behaviorally so that we can better guard ourselves so that we can better guard our relationships from getting infected from old wounds. So God, would you do that healing work in us? That would be a good place to start. So if we're going to know each other and care about each other and love each other, here's some things we've got to do. Number four, let go of peace faking and embrace peacemaking. Let go of peace faking and embrace peacemaking. Now, how many times has somebody's feelings been hurt at church? How many times you, you've been in a group and your feelings have gotten hurt? It happens a lot. The folks who say, I'm never going back to church because I got my feelings hurt. Y'all ought to quit church a long time ago, right? I mean, it's just a reality among broken people in a broken world. There's going to be hurt feelings from time to time. It happens. But what doesn't need to happen is when a person is hurt, what doesn't need to happen is that they smile and they pretend that everything's okay. They just fake peace. Meanwhile, the hurt only grows. It only goes deeper. It only gets bigger. And resentment begins to set in. Anger often begins to set in. And time keeps passing. Until that person begins to feel trapped. And eventually, oftentimes, they'll just simply quietly slip away in silent pain. They intended to keep the peace. But peace is what they do not have. Because there's a big difference between faking peace and asking God to help you make peace. Now, no normal person enjoys conflict. No normal person does. But in our broken world, conflict in relationships is going to happen. In fact, because we are unique and different from one another, it's going to happen. There's going to be conflict. So we have a decision to make, church, when there's hurt, when there's pain among us, when there's conflict, the decision before us is we can either allow that to create a wedge between us that dishonors the Lord, or we tackle that with truth and with love and with grace. Not easy to do, but necessary. It's so necessary. In fact, I know this, that if we'll move out in truth and grace in the midst of that conflict, God can and God will use that conflict to strengthen that relationship for his glory, for his purposes, and for his plans. If we will follow his way in doing that. 
And God's way is for us to strive to be people who don't fake peace, but who make peace, who work for it, who bring about. In fact, the first promise in our church covenant is we will work and pray for the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. Those other promises we make in that don't mean anything if we don't get the first one right. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So if we're going to know each other and care about each other and love each other, there's some things we've got to let go of, some things we've got to embrace. We've got to let go of independence, embrace interdependence. Let go of pride, embrace humility. Let go of past wounds, embrace present healing. Let go of peace faking, embrace peacemaking. Number five, let go of short-sightedness. Let go of short-sightedness and embrace vision. Oftentimes when I'm talking to a, a, a couple in crisis, I'll ask them some questions like this. I mean, they're ready to, they're ready to call it quits. And I'll say, let me ask you a question. What do you want Christmas morning to look like five years from now? What do you want that to look like? What, what do you want your daughter's wedding 15 years from now to look like? I ask those questions because I know what happens in our relationships is oftentimes we get really short-sighted, right? We, we, we end up maybe getting short-fused, too. And, and we're obsessing and focusing on the, the right here and now, the thing that's right in front of us, and we lose vision for further down the road. And that can happen even right here at church, even, even in our best relationships, even in our life groups. They can get short-sighted and Start to slowly die. And life groups, listen, I want to challenge you this morning to get a God-sized vision for your relationships in that group, for you together as a life group. Listen, again, the goal is not simply to connect. That's not where Jesus stopped. That's the beginning. we got to connect so that we can ultimately love each other as Jesus has loved us. So life groups, you got to get fired up about having God's vision for your group. I love what one group is doing. I, I met with some of the leaders of Koinonia last week. And they want to go beyond just connecting in an hour on Sunday morning. And so they're going to be having lunches at people's homes on Sunday. And families just piling in houses and sharing meals together around the table. And kids in the yard playing. And I love that. I love that vision for going beyond connecting to get to where Jesus has called us to. And I want to put that before you this morning. Life groups to have a God-centered vision. In fact, I came up with an idea for life groups. I'm just going to roll it out right now so you can see what's coming up. But as we enter into this new season, I want to show you what we're going to be doing in the month of August. We're calling these life group branch fellowships. I took our life groups and I broke them into branches. And you're going to be getting together on Sunday afternoons in the month of August so that you can meet people in other life groups. And maybe your life group can be strengthened. Maybe you hear a good idea like Koinonia had and go, hey, we can do more of that. Cross work with one another like that, right? So August the 6th and August the 20th at 5.30 the college, the young adults, the main, the bridge, young families, you're going to be at the pavilion. On that same day, August 6th and August 20th, in the student center, redeemed by grace, grow in faith, follow me, and Cornerstone will be together. And on those same days, in the multipurpose room, Seekers, Timothy, Hearts and Hands, Fellowship and Charity. That's two-thirds of the entire church family. And then on the other two Sundays of August, August 13th and August 27th, also at 5.30 p.m., at the pavilion, deeper A, deeper B, abiding in grace, sole deo gloria, 
Koinonia and Life Matters. It's going to be a big one. And then at the Student Center, GPS, Encouragers, Crosstalk, Anchor to the Cross, and Hope. I hope you wrote those down. I see you taking pictures on your phone. Well done. Get it into your calendar. If you're a C person, a connect person in your life group, you need to be connecting with the other C people in those life groups and say, what do y'all want to do? Is this like potluck? Do, do we have some guys that want to cook hamburgers? Y'all make it happen. I'm not making it happen. I got plenty to do. The rest of our staff, y'all are grown folks, all right? And so I want you to take that and run with that, and you're going to see that in your talking sheet today when you go to pit cruise you'll have it in print so you can keep up what's going on so if we're going to know each other care about each other and love each other we got to let go of some things we got to embrace some things let go of independence embrace interdependence let go of pride embrace humility let go of past wounds embrace present healing let go of peace faking embrace peacemaking let go of short-sightedness embrace vision number six let go of being negative and embrace positive I don't have to say a lot about that one. That's pretty obvious. But, you know, fault finders are just never satisfied. Never. I mean, some of y'all, we could pass out ice cream every Sunday and you would fuss and find something wrong with it. That's, that's the nature of fault finders. They're never sad. Don't be a fault finder. Don't go negative. The negative person is always talking about what we're not. But the positive person is always talking about what we can be, what we're becoming, what we're going to be. So if we're going to know each other and care about each other and love each other, these are the things we got to do. And number seven, we may have to let go of my club and embrace his kingdom. Let go of my club and embrace his kingdom. Now, I think this one's an important one. Especially in the days that we're living in right now. I've never seen loneliness and despair like I see it in people's lives right now. And it's interesting because the vast majority of people are connected on social media. But we're beginning to learn that social media is really only causing more loneliness and despair. And this is something that we need to be aware of. We're facing some major challenges right now in our society. Mental health challenges, emotional challenges. But you know what? Maybe this is oversimplistic from an old country boy from Bibb County, Alabama. But I think that a lot of our emotional and mental problems would vanish overnight. Not all of them, but I think a lot of them would vanish overnight if more people knew there's somebody that knows me. And they care about me. And they love me. I think that's powerful. And that's what Jesus has called us to do. You know, one of the reasons I, I love working with our students, they're in, the, they're in the middle of that battle that we're in as a society right now. With the coming out of the iPhone, the suicide rate among our students has skyrocketed. I mean, we've watched these trends now for a really long time. They're facing some real challenges. And I love working with these kids, the challenge that we're facing there. And, but at Grace Life, that challenge is kind of even um, magnified a little bit. For example, I'll explain what I mean. This past Monday night, we took 31 10th, 11th, and 12th graders out to go bowling, laser tag, whatever. 
had a good time. 31 high school students, 10th through 12th grade. They represented 13 different schools. That's a challenge. How, how do we connect these kids together? When they don't live in the same neighborhood, they don't live in the same community, they don't go to the same school, and some of them we see an hour a month, maybe two hours a month or three hours a month. And that's a challenge. And, and I'm loving that challenge because I think God's up to that. I really do. Here, here's how real that challenge is. Just, just yesterday, I texted one of our students. And I won't tell you where they live. I don't want to give their identity away. But I texted this young girl in our student ministry, and I said, hey, there's another young girl in our student ministry that I want to encourage you to connect with. Things going on in her life, I think she could really use a friend like you. I put their addresses in my Google Maps on my phone. They live 58 minutes apart. That's a long way, right? But we're watching God raise up a generation that says no matter the distance, no matter the dilemma, no matter the challenge, we're all in on the fact that we got to know each other so we can care about each other, so we can love each other. And that's so important because I think you know this, students, young people can easily begin to drift into their own little clique, their own little club. And listen, Cliques and clubs are a cancer on student ministry. And here's why. Because when young people feel like they don't fit or they don't belong or they're not wanted or people are intentionally leaving them out, man, that's deeply damaging emotionally and mentally, especially in the days that we're in. But here's the reality. A clicky, my club kind of mentality doesn't stop when you graduate high school. Some of us have carried that mentality right on into adulthood. And don't tell me that you don't, that you haven't, because you have. I see it a lot. And we need to make sure that we're operating from a kingdom mentality. Not a club mentality. A kingdom mentality is inclusive. We'll make room at the table. You're wanted. A my club mentality is no more seats left. Right? No, we, don't, we don't want Scotty Smalls on our team. We'll, we're, we're better with eight. We don't want him here. Right? That's kingdom mentality. Now, we all got to be intentional about this. I got to be intentional about this. Because we all want and we all need an inner circle of friends. Maybe it's one other person or maybe it's ten people. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I would say for you to have an inner circle of people is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. But we need to be careful. Listen, we need to be careful about making our inner circle a thing that can become discouraging. To somebody else. That could be a stumbling block to somebody else. So we need to ask the Lord to give us wisdom in how to balance our closest interpersonal relationships with a kingdom mentality that says there's always room for you and you're invited and you're welcomed here. 
how, how do we do that? How do we connect our lives with all of God's people, not just my own people, my own group, my own club, my own tribe? I, I love what one group of young women at Grace Life are doing. They've been friends for a long time. They're in the same life group. Their friendship isn't just predicated on Grace Life. It's been there for some time. And these are young ladies who invest their lives consistently in many, many people at Grace Life. And, and they enjoy sometimes doing things together as a smaller group of friends. I get that. Me too. But they made this mutual agreement among themselves. They agreed that their time together in their smaller circle of friends, that that time would remain private, that that would not be something that they would put out on social media because they simply don't want to run the risk of causing hurt to somebody else, of giving the impression that somebody's not a part of their life or not wanted to be a part of their life, that somebody's overlooked or left out. They recognize that in a totally innocent and unintentional way, they could have hurt somebody else in the kingdom of God. And so they have agreed that when they're together in a smaller group, that'll stay private among them. I think that's walking in wisdom. I think that's stewarding friendship well. I think that's stewarding social media well. I think that's godly wisdom that honors the Lord. I think that's thinking his kingdom way beyond my club. That's seeking first the kingdom of God. And I love that. Jesus says, Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, you might think, that's a little bit much, right? You might be thinking, come on, pastor, that's that's." Aren't we overcomplicating it? I mean, that sounds awfully complicated. It is. Life is complicated. Navigating life as a follower of Jesus is not easy. Navigating friendships and kingdom life as a follower of Jesus isn't easy. Listen, relationships aren't easy. Ask Adam. It cost him. It cost him. And the kind of relationships that God's giving and wanting to give to you are going to cost you too. It may cost you your independence. It may cost you your pride. It may cost you your past wounds. It may cost you your peace faking. It may cost you your short-sightedness. It may cost you your negativity. It may cost you your club. See, among a lot of other things, Grace Life is a tapestry of relationships that God is slowly, moment by moment, weaving together in such a beautiful, reflective way of who he is. And he stitches this tapestry of relationships together one stitch at a time. Each stitch is a moment of intentionality on your part. A moment of intentionality. What may seem like a mundane moment, but in that moment when you're intentional to extend a hand. To say, I'm sorry, I'm trying to learn your name. Would you tell me again? Do you guys know how many times that comes out of my mouth? It's okay to say that. 
That's a mundane moment, right? But it's so big to make eye contact with somebody, to begin to engage in conversation with somebody. Oftentimes, God is at work in the middle of that mundane moment to do something extraordinary, like when he put Evan and Margaret in the same pit crew on a Sunday. It's massive. The entire trajectory of a person's life can be forever impacted because one person grabbed a hold of one mundane moment and stepped into it for the glory of God. In just a single moment, you can forever impact another person's life, either in a way that's positive or negative. Or you can decide, you know what, I'm hearing all this, but I'm not letting go. I'm going to hold on to all my ribs today. I'm not letting go of nothing. I don't want to let go of what God's telling me so that I can have the relationships that he wants to give me. See, some of you have stopped at the relationships he's already given you. He ain't done. Margaret was 90 when she got one of the most significant relationships in her life. Don't go on holding on to all that stuff. If you do, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on something that God himself wants to give you and on something that God himself wants to give to somebody through you. If Evan Beck had refused to let go of something and embrace something, she'd have missed Margaret Glasgow. And if Margaret Glasgow had refused to let go of something and embrace something, she'd have missed out on Evan Beck. I wonder today what you've already missed out on. I wonder who you've already missed out on because you just bowed up and said, I ain't letting go, and I'm not embracing anything. Here's the deal. We, we don't get to go back and redo, but today's the first day of a new week. His mercies are brand new today. We don't get to go back and change it. But we can begin to change it going forward, starting today in this little thing that we call pit crews. So, God, we bow our hearts before you today. God, you made us relational from the very second chapter of your word. You made that abundantly clear. And, God, you are at work in our lives to weave this tapestry of meaningful relationships together. But God, you do it with our willingness, with our cooperation. Each moment we have a choice to make. Will we give ourselves to you in your hands and trust you to stitch us and to weave us together in the way that you've purposed and planned? God, I pray against resistant spirits today in this room. God, I pray that we would be open to the good work that you want to do in our lives today. God, that we would step out of our comfort zone. We would step into a room that we may not know anybody, but we would step in by faith, trusting God that you're going to do a good thing, that there will be something we learn, some way we grow, some way we become more like you, and maybe... Just maybe, 
our life is forever changed. Or maybe because we stepped into that room in some way through us, you forever changed another life. God, help us to not be selfish today. Help us to not be prideful today. Help us to not shrink back in fear today, but to press in to the good things, God, that you want to do and give to us today. The best thing you've given us is Jesus. And you gave Jesus to us because you are a God of relationships. Now help us love one another as he loves us. We ask it in his name and for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Let's stand, church. Let's worship. Pay attention to what we're singing. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts through this psalm be acceptable in his sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer.